Hey, man, great singing. You may be seated. Sweet, sweet love. 
daughters and our sons. God gave us to treasure from him. Those precious little ones, our daughters and our sons. God gave us to treasure from him. Jesus loves the little children. They are our treasure from him. Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to turn to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. The book of Genesis chapter 21. We're going to begin reading in verse number 14. So Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. We're going to begin reading in verse number 14. So once you find it, let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word this morning. Genesis chapter 21, beginning in verse number 14. Genesis chapter 21, verse number 14. We're going to take kind of a different approach this morning. And look at someone that really does not get looked at very often. Genesis chapter 21, verse number 14. The Bible says that Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. The water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were, as it were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice, and she wept. And I preached this morning a message entitled, Making a Good Mom a Better Mom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do come before you today. Lord, as we look around our society, never have we been without so many, never have we been with so many questions, Lord God. And though there are a lot of individuals giving answers, truly, Lord God, they really don't know the answers. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us this morning to see that we can rely on you. We can depend on you. Lord God, you'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. Father, maybe there's someone here who, like Hagar, is at their wit's end. Father, I pray that you would cause them to turn to you. Lord, I pray that the uh, calling of your Holy Spirit this morning would be such that it would be clear. Father God, that it would be present And Lord, that it would be obvious, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as their personal Savior, I pray you'd cause them to see their need this morning. Lord, we are so thankful for all that you've done for us. So thankful for your love, for the sacrifice that was made for us on the cross. Lord God, we thank you for our moms. And Lord, thank you for the institution of the family in this church. And Lord God, we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can go ahead and be seated. As 
So we read this portion of scripture, it's an, it's an extremely tragic scene. And yet it plays itself out over and over and over again, time and time and time again. Here's a mother doing everything she can to simply provide the basic necessities for her son. But it just doesn't seem to be enough. In verse number 15, the Bible says that the water was spent in the bottle and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. In other words, she has spent everything and everything she has is spent. She helps her weakened son lay down under what little shade she could find out there in the wilderness. And she sits far enough away, the Bible says, a bow shot away from him not because she didn't love him, and not because she didn't want anything to do with him, but because the tragedy of the scene was so great that she didn't want anything to do with it. The Bible says that she did this, for she said, let me not see the death of the child. And the Bible says she, not only did she uh, go far enough away, but she turned her back, and the Bible says she began to weep. She was at her wit's end. She turns her back given the situation, the limited amount that we know about Hagar. As we look at her, we'd have to come to the conclusion that she was a pretty good mom doing the very best that she knew how. She was just in a terrible situation. The circumstances did not favor her. Now, let me just say this about circumstances. We can do everything we can to prepare for circumstances, but A, we can't control those circumstances, and B, we certainly cannot predict what's going to happen tomorrow. The situation was that Hagar was a single mom given the enormous task of leading a teenager, pre-teenage son. The circumstances were not her own making. It wasn't as if she had made some bad decisions in her life. and That's why she is where she is. No, it wasn't like that at all for her. She was a slave from Egypt, whose master Sarah made her husband Abraham impregnate her. And we read about that in Genesis chapter 6. And that, of course, is a message and a lesson for another time. Just, just, but just suffice it to say, Hagar's circumstances, unlike many who create their own bad circumstances, Hagar had no control over the circumstances in which she finds herself in. Hagar and her son were cast out of the household when Sarah gave birth and later weaned her own son Isaac. And you can read about that also. Hagar made a go at it. She did the best that she could. She wandered aimlessly in the wilderness before coming to the realization that everything she could offer, everything the situation could offer, everything that the world had to offer simply was not enough. However, this sobering incident would make this good mom a better mom. A few observations I want to make about Hagar's incident. It can help us not only becoming better parents, but help us becoming better people in general. So I want to make five observations this morning about this tragic scene. Five observations about Hagar. And by the way, the ending is a good one for Hagar and for her son. But five observations about Hagar that I think will make us better parents 
and will make us better people. The first observation about Hagar is this. Hagar's world was an unstable world. Her world was an unstable world. Her earthly circumstances had failed her. The Bible tells us that after doing the best that she could, verse number 15, and the water was spent in the bottle, she was spent, everything was spent, that she cast the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bowshot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice. And she wept. But her earthly circumstances failed her. You know, had you asked Hagar a month before this, she could have never predicted that this was going to happen to her. You see, despite what's happened, Abraham did love Ishmael, the son. And Abraham had wanted to take care of this son. And, and incidentally, Abraham, the biological father of Hagar's child, was a very wealthy man. And so you go back just a month ago in Hagar's life, two months ago in Hagar's life, and in her mind, my son's always going to be taken care of because he has a very wealthy father. At the very least, she thought he'd be taken care of. Now, I may not be. I may be cast out. But at the very least, my son will always be taken care of. Fast forward two months later or fast forward a month later. And here is Hagar in circumstances she never would have predicted. He's got a rich biological father and now he's under a shrub dying, and I can't bear to watch it. Who could predict what's going to go on tomorrow? I was watching the testimony of some Ukrainians right after the war began, and they were just in total shock as they were watching missiles flying over their homes. And they said, there's no way that we could possibly have predicted this as they're seeing their towns crumble around them and even schools being, uh, being uh, exploding. So we just cannot believe this is happening. Who could have predicted this? Let me just say this. We live. And if the last two years has taught us anything, it should have taught us this. We live in a very unstable, a very fragile world. And who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Don't count on tomorrow. Proverbs chapter 23 and in verse number 5. Proverbs 23 verse number 5. Remember, Hagar's son had a wealthy father, but Proverbs 23, verse number 5 says, Don't count on riches. Don't count on your money being there tomorrow. Oh, it's okay to plan for things. It's okay to plan for retirement. It's okay to, to plan for situations. But all the planning in the world cannot foresee tragedies. And Proverbs 23, verse number 5 says, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? 
For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Who would have predicted two years ago when we were, put, we were paying almost record lows for fuel that two years later we'd be paying more for fuel than we'd ever paid in our lifetime or even in the history of fuel? Boy, we were down in Southern California, and, and I know it's bad up here, but we're down in Southern California, and I'm just looking for gas stations where the gas is less than six bucks a gallon. It's amazing. Who could have predicted this? Two years ago, we were producing our own oil and, and, and becoming one of the largest producers in the world, and then two years later, we're not allowed to. And we're relying on countries like Russia to produce our oil. Who could have predicted that? Well, if you set your eyes on that which is not, riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Proverbs chapter 27, 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow. That's Proverbs 27, verse number 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. In other words, if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior today, don't wait for tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you're not serving Jesus today as a family, listen, Mom, if God is not your priority today, don't wait for tomorrow to make him your priority. There may not be a tomorrow. She was also, concerning Hagar, she was obviously a very healthy woman. As a matter of fact, out in the wilderness, the Bible tells us that she outlasted her young son. To the point that after the water was spent and there was no water left and they were wandering out there in the wilderness, his life started departing before hers did. And she took her son and she laid him under a shrub and and then she went to bowshot away. This tells me she was a pretty healthy woman. You know, health is a blessing and a curse. Because if we're healthy today, we tend to put things off till tomorrow because why not? I'm healthy a lot of times we'll put off salvation because, well, I'm young. I got all the time in the world. And then, bang, death hits. Surprising. She was probably healthy and somewhat young. But we tend to forget that youth and health are temporary. Boy, I'll tell you what, this last year has probably... Uh, told me that personally more than any other year in my life that that you're not you're not young and healthy forever matter of fact in the book of ecclesiastes solomon writes to the young man or to the young woman and he starts out being sarcastic he says okay young person he says rejoice in thy youth Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart. In other words, he says, don't don't regard God. You're young. Live it up. Rejoice, meaning party. 
have a good time, uh, just live for you today and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart, put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. And so he starts out sarcastically, says, go ahead, live for yourself. Go ahead, you want to smoke, you want to drink, you want to party, you're young, live it up. But keep this in mind, you reap what you sow. And if you're going to live destructively in your older life, it's going to bring about destruction. I can remember and people that I had graduated from high school with and then just seeing them 10 years later, some just 20 years later, and they looked like they'd aged 100 years because they lived this way, because this is the way that they lived their lives. So Solomon says to the young people, hey, instead of living like that and then reaping the consequences, he says, as a young person, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, or the, uh, the days in which we begin to get old and deteriorate. Remember now thy creator, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And then... Solomon goes and starts to describe the things that happen naturally by old age. Those relying on earthly wealth, those relying on their health, those relying on earthly circumstances will be gravely disappointed. Learn now the world does not give, it takes, until you have nothing left to give it. And Hagar has learned this. The world had nothing to offer her. There she is having nothing to offer the world, and it's amazing how that works. Once we got nothing to offer the world, why do you think we live in such a youth-driven society today? Because we can take from the youth. My, we can take from their talents, and we can take from their looks, and, and we can take from their, their strength, and, and the world just takes and takes and takes. And it's no wonder those who sell out to the world and gain the whole world wonder why they feel like they have nothing. Why is it that all of these uh, celebrities that get rich and have the world by the fingertips while they are young, always end up in some kind of clinic or some kind of de- depression. We hear today all about mental, mental health, awareness, and, and it's in our youth. And the reason is because our youth have everything today. The world is just sucking it right out of them. The one thing that they need and that hole that's in their heart God can only fill, and he's not being allowed to fill it. Those relying on earthly wealth and circumstances will be gravely disappointed when they learn, man, is this it? And the answer to that question is, yeah, unless you have Jesus, this is it. 
She depended upon that which was in her hand. The Bible tells us in verse number 15 that it was soon spent and she had nothing. There is nothing certain or everlasting on this earth. Boy, that new car. I, if I could only have that new car. It's amazing how soon buyer's remorse sets in because the new car turns old. And these days you can finance them for so long, they're old long before they're paid for. Boy, when you put your trust in things of this life, they will leave you confounded, confused, and ultimately cast down. Psalm 22, verse number 5. In Psalm 22, verse number 5, the psalmist says, They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and they were not confounded. In other words, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he delivers us. He fills us. And we are not confounded. But on the flip side of that, Psalm 97, verse number 7. The psalmist writes, Confounded be all they that serve graven images. By the way, graven images just represents the things in this world. When they serve the things of this world, they're confounded. Why am I so confounded? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so confused? Especially in this day and age, which even the poor person in America has everything compared to those in the rest of the world. The Bible tells us in Psalm chapter 20 and verse number 7. Psalm chapter 20, verse number 7. The psalmist writes, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Jeremiah chapter 17 and in verse number 5. Jeremiah writes, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. My, when you trust in man, it really is a curse. When you trust in man and put all of your, all your uh, baskets or all your eggs in man's baskets, those eggs are going to break. And we sure have learned that this last year, have we not? Fifteen days to shorten, to, to flatten the curve. How do we know? Because they, man told us so. Okay, another week. How about another month? Well, it'll, it'll work this time. And remember, in the summer, things opened up for a while. And then, okay, two weeks to flatten the curve again. It's no wonder that mental health took a beating during that time and still is. Because we're going back and forth and here and there. And then, well, you know, we have found... Um, we found a drug. It's a vaccine. Well, as it turns out, it wasn't a vaccine at all. Uh, it, might have, it might have helped, and I'm not saying it didn't help. I, I, honestly, I don't have the answers. I'm here to tell you that right now. I personally don't have the answers. All I know is what we observed and what we saw. My, 
me personally, the vaccine made me sicker than I have ever been in my life. That's just me personally. But I also know this. Shortly after the vaccine was going to save us, uh, Colin Powell died fully vaccinated, and others did also. It's no wonder that the Bible says, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. You say, well, Pastor, what was the alternative during those times? I think maybe the alternative was being in church, serving God, keeping him first, and trusting him. But that was not allowed. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, that maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. And there was a lot of departure from the Lord over the last couple of years. Hagar's world was unstable. Can I say this? Our world is unstable. Hagar's, number two, the second observation. Hagar's initial direction was unreliable. Her initial direction was unreliable. Look at what it says, the Bible, look what the Bible says she did. In verse number 14 of Genesis 21, Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away, and she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. She wandered aimlessly. She had no plan. She just went wherever she felt like she needed to go. She wandered aimlessly. She was obviously plagued by indecision and or ignorance. She didn't know where to go. In any case, just doing what felt right got her nowhere. Say, well, Pastor, you can't hardly blame her. She didn't know. Well, and that's the sad thing. The sad thing is, not knowing does not free you from the consequences. That's the sad thing. Maybe she didn't know where to go. Maybe she had no idea. I notice Abraham didn't give her a compass and didn't give her a map and didn't give her direction. Just said, here, take this and take this. And maybe she thought, oh, bread and water, that's all that I need. You know, sadly, in the world in which we live, a lot of people think that's all that they need. Boy, I've got the things of this world, and that's all that I need. So ignorantly, they walk down the path of destruction. Ignorantly, they walk through, uh, they walk through life aimlessly, being told, do this, so they do this, and being told, do that, and so they do that, and being told, go here, and so they go here, being told, believe this, and so they believe this. People think that we as Baptists are stubborn. We're not stubborn. We just have the Word of God that tells us where to go. And when the rest of the world says, go in this direction or believe this or accept this, we say, well, wait a minute. That's not in the road map. Male and female created he them. And for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Oh, you Baptists, you're just so stubborn. 
You can't expect, you can't accept that there's 255 today genders and there will probably be more tomorrow. You just can't accept that. But it's not in the roadmap. And sadly, those who believe it, one in two attempt suicide because it's not in the roadmap. And they're wandering aimlessly without direction from this belief to that belief. No wonder we're so utterly confused as a society. She wandered aimlessly. She was plagued by, I believe, ignorance, which led to indecision. Hanging on to the trends of this world is much like Hagar wandering aimlessly in the wilderness. When all is said and done, disappointment and desperation will be the result. In the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 14, Paul said, we need to take this as our roadmap, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleigh of men and cunning craftiness. Notice he says, be no more children. You know, when I was a kid, I could never, I could never understand why my parents wouldn't let me go beyond the border that they had set for me. I think I was about five years old, and we had a neighbor kid, Jeff. He was about five years old, and one day we decided to get on our trikes or our bikes that had training wheels, I guess is what we got on, and we started to head out, and we said, you know what, let's just see what's beyond our borders, and we just went where we felt like going. I don't know what got into us. But we just decided, let's go down the hill. We, was, we lived in Kirkland, Washington at the time. We were probably more like four years old. We lived in Kirkland, Washington at the time. And before we know it, things started to not look familiar. And I can remember, Jeff, do you remember that house? I've not seen that house. I don't remember this street. Uh, how do we get back? I mean, we were... Literally kids just going where we felt like going. To make a long story short, I don't know what was going on at home, but somehow, some way, we ended up being taken home by a police officer. That's what the Bible means. By toss to and fro, be, that we henceforth be no more children. In other words, when you become an adult, hopefully you understand the streets and the street names and the directions. And I know some don't. With some, instead, don't, don't tell certain individuals a street name. Tell them, take a left at McDonald's. Take a right at the haystack. That's a dangerous way to live, by the way. But hey, if it gets you there, that's fine. Be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slay of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. God's given us a road map. In 1789, the Canadian explorer Alexander Mackenzie 
along with, the sev- uh, with several explorers, had set out in an effort to find a water route to the Pacific. The men followed a mighty river, now known as the Mackenzie River. With high hopes, they paddled furiously amid great danger. Unfortunately, it didn't take them to the Pacific, but instead the Arctic. In his diary, Mackenzie called it the River of Disappointment. Many are traveling in the river of certain disappointment, thinking it's going to take them to the Pacific. By the way, Pacific meaning peace. Why they named the the Pacific peace, I'll never understand. But Proverbs 16.25 says, There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Or should I say disappointment? It certainly is not the Pacific Hanging on to the trends of this world will get you nowhere fast because the trends will change. I know you probably get sick of this illustration, but I I remember vividly as a child asking my parents when I came home if we were preparing for the Ice Age because we were headed for one. How did you know you were headed for an ice age? That's what our school teachers were telling us. We're headed for an ice age, another ice age. Well, fast forward 40 years later, we're not headed for an ice age. As a matter of fact, global warming is the cry of the day. Who knows, maybe another 50 years, it'll be the ice age again. I just know this. I don't put much stock into what any of them say anymore. Because if you do, you're going to be tossed too. And for I'm so glad my parents didn't start preparing for the Ice Age. Because today they'd be mad at me because of global warming. But nonetheless, hanging on to the trends of this world will get you nowhere fast. Like clinging on to every wave of doctrine, you'll find that you're wandering in circles and accomplishing nothing. You know the old saying, if you keep something in your closet long enough, it'll be in style again. Hagar's world was unstable. Hagar's direction was unreliable. Our third observation about Hagar this morning, her care was commendable. Her care was commendable. Here is a mom who who genuinely cared for her child. Hey, why do people hold on to the trends of this world and, and gravitate to everything that men say? I think a lot of them because they, they genuinely do care for their kids. Sadly, however... If we don't raise our kids the Bible way, we can care as much as we want. Honestly, if you're told that cyanide is good for your child and you believe it, because that's what everybody's saying, give your kids cyanide, it's the best thing for them. And so regardless of your belief, it's going to kill your child. Hey, regardless of how much we believe in these worldly trends, if they're contrary to the Word of God, 
they're not good for our kids. And even when everyone else is doing them and everyone else is believing them and you're under pressure, you've got to believe this, you've got to do this, you've got to practice this. Just because everyone else is doing it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good thing. Hey, there's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The Bible tells us, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm, whose heart departeth from the Lord. And so when the trends and when what we are being told causes us to depart from the word of God, it is not a good thing. Oh, I am, I am really saddened by what new parents consider discipline for their kids today. And the reason is because it's what everybody's telling them. This is how you discipline kids. Never say no to your child. Say instead, there might be a better option. As your child is about to put his hand on that burner. Don't yell, no! That'll burn you! No, instead, um, hun, there might be a better option. There just might be. Hey, I can remember reaching for those things and having my hands smacked Because that was small compared to what would happen had I touched it. And then I understood the consequences. Well, I'm really not sure what that bright red beautiful burner will do to me, but I sure know what mom will do to me. (laughs) And I don't want that coming down. By the way, I just resent my mom so much for that. Her violence. Ugh. I kid you. I love my mom. I am so glad that my mom went against her, uh, well, instincts, I guess, to grab my hand and smack it so I wouldn't touch that burner. How many times does God tell us, thou shalt not? And no. Not only that, but in the book of Hebrews and in other portions of Scripture, the Bible tells us God spanks us. He that spareth the rod hateth his son. Well, man, God loves me. (laughs) And so did my parents. But am I thankful for it? Disciplining your child is biblical. Oh, no, that's a terrible thing. What does the Bible say is going to happen to us if we trust in man and make the make uh, uh, his arm our, our, or make flesh our, our arm and we depart from the Lord? Nothing good. Look at our society today. You can't tell kids no today. Uh, Kids have been raised like that, and now we have adults throwing temper tantrums. 
when they don't get their way, when our people don't get elected. We throw temper tantrums. We burn down cities. We throw uh, rocks through windows and we storm the Capitol, which, by the way, I don't care who you're for, who you're voting for. That was all very childish. What the right did all through 2020, uh, what the left did all through 2020 uh, during the summer of love, as they like to call it. And what the right did, and I don't even know if it was the right, if it was the left, I don't know. All I know is this, it was childish. And it was the result of spoiled children not getting their way. This is the world we live in when we don't practice biblical discipline. And I know that parents do it because, well, it's, it's, it's all the rage today. And I want to do what's best for my child. And I get that. But here's what's best for your child. It's the roadmap. It is never failed. As Josh said this morning in Sunday school, entire empires have tried to destroy it. Why do we still have it? Because God preserved it. God produced it. And God has a plan for it in your life and in mine. But Hagar's care was commendable. One would expect nothing less from a mother than to grieve for a dying son. When she's at her wit's end, she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. This is a mom who cares immensely for her child. She just doesn't know what to do. She just doesn't know where to go. Hagar's reactions indicated her willingness to do anything to save her child. If at that time, if her dying would have saved her child, I think she would have. She would have done whatever she could, but there was nothing she could do. And she did the only thing she knew. She wept. And such should be the response, I believe, of Christians for the lost world. When we read about Hagar, doesn't your heart just hurt? You read about her circumstances, the cruelty with which she was treated cast out circumstances that were beyond her control. And yet, here's where she is. Doesn't your heart just hurt for her? Here's the the terrible thing. There's millions of Hagars in the world today. They don't know where to go. They have no place to turn. They're at their wit's end. Some of them are wealthy people. Some of them are poor people. Some are middle class people. But the truth of the matter is, they don't know where to go. They're at their wit's end. Who do we listen to? I don't know about you, but over the last two years, I just got sick of not knowing who do I listen to. Well, you know what? We still had this and he still hasn't failed us. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. The Bible says, But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them 
because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's millions of Hagars out there. What are we doing about them? We can read this story and cry all we want. But what about the Hagar next door? What about the Hagar outside of this church building? What about the Hagars all throughout Hillsboro and Beaverton and Forest Grove and Cornelius? What ought we be willing to do for a world that Jesus died for? Hagar's world was unstable. Number two, her direction was unreliable. Number three, her care was commendable. Number four, her ignorance was fatal. Her ignorance was fatal. I want you to notice in verse number 17. The Bible says, And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. One thing we can give Abraham credit for, he obviously taught his son who God was. And so even though Hagar did not know where to turn, the Bible says that while that lad was under the shrub, he was praying. He heard his mom weeping a bow shot away. And he was praying, Lord God, don't do this to my mom. Lord God of Abraham, help us in this situation. I find it very interesting that the Bible does not say that he heard Hagar, even though Hagar wept. It says he heard the lad. Tells me this, Abraham taught that boy about God. The best thing you can give to your son is God. Teach him about Jesus. Teach him about the Lord. Teach him that when you are at your wit's end, and by the way, don't wait till you're at your wit's end. Always pray. Bring all your petitions before the Lord. Your small ones, your great ones, bring all your prayer requests before the Lord. But here is a son whose dad, who, you know, we can say what we want about Abraham. Not only did Abraham, though, give them bread and water, obviously Abraham must have given them God when they went out, and that's what saved them. And so God says, I heard, I've heard the voice of the lad. Verse number 18, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. This is what they needed. She just needed to know how to get there. It was there all along. How tragic for her son to die and then her to die when there was a well just nearby. But because through her grief and and because she didn't know. You know, they say that the great crime of the desert is to know where the water is and not share it. 
But the great tragedy of the desert is to have it near you and not know to go there. The cure cure was near. Here's the thing. Hillsboro's looking. But the cure's here. Society is looking. But the cure's here. Churches need to be reaching out to the society in which we live. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse number 20 Jeremiah writes, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we're not saved. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. I am black, astonishment hath taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? Jeremiah says there's balm in Gilead, but the people refuse to go there. In Hosea chapter 4, verse number 6, Hosea grieves. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, God says, I also will reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I also will forget thy children. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They don't know what the Word of God says. Hagar simply needed God's Word to reveal to her where the cure was. Once God's Word revealed it, she lived. And by the way, her son grew up to be a powerful man and gave birth to a great nation. But she simply needed God's Word to reveal it to her. Romans chapter 10, this is a long portion of scripture, and I want you to turn there, because this is the cure. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, many of you know much of this by heart. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, here's the cure, it's so simple. Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's that simple. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. So praise the Lord for that. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Greek, white, black, Asian, Hispanic. It doesn't matter. The Bible says he is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But here's the question. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace 
and bring glad tidings of good things. Oh, the cure is simple. Ignorance is not bliss. Listen, she was just a stone throws away from a well that could save her life, but she was ignorant to it. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is fatal, which is why it is up to us who hold the gospel to share the gospel because there are people out there at their wits end like Hagar wondering, what am I going to do? What can I do with my kids? What can I do with my family? What can I do with myself? And they are weeping, but they don't know who to turn to. We need to share the gospel. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Hagar's world was unstable. I think we could say so is ours. Hagar's direction was unreliable. Oh, when the world points you into a direction, it won't be long before they change it. Hagar's care was commendable. No one discounts the care she had for her son. But her ignorance was fatal. But the last thing I want you to see this morning is her immediate response was profitable. She's been told what to do in verse number 18. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand. In other words, Hagar, who had turned her back, and Hagar, who had gone far enough away, she didn't want to hear when her son stopped breathing. God says, it's okay, go back to your son. Put him in your hands. He is not going to die. The Bible tells us, I'm going to make him a great nation, God says. In verse number 19, she did it. She did what she was supposed to. And when you do that, the Bible says God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad to drink. And God was with him. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt And it came to pass that time that Bimelech and Ephitrachol and the chief captain of his host spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. And so that goes on to the next thing. But what I wanted you to see is, boy, how he grew and became a great man. But it was predicated by a mom who heard God's word and said, well, I don't know how this is going to happen. How could this help? I mean, how are we going to live through this? But she did as she was told. And there I'm sure she's holding her son saying, I don't know how he's going to live through this. And the Bible says God opened her eyes and she looked and maybe she was looking around. Is someone going to come help us? Is God going to send somebody? A lot of times we think we have it figured out and God's got another way. And as she's holding her son and as she's looking around, wondering, how's he going to live through this? How am I going to live through this? Wait, what is that out there? 
And the Bible says as she looked, well, why didn't I notice that before? You know, it's amazing when you accept Christ as your Savior and then you begin to live for him, you start to wonder, how come I didn't see this before? Why wasn't this so obvious? Why was it not so clear? It doesn't become clear until the Holy Spirit is in you, and then you start following him. And then you start to see things. We wonder, why can't the world see this? Well, first of all, the world needs the gospel. They need to accept the gospel. And as they start living according to the gospel, they're going to start seeing some things. Things will be made clear to them. Wow, that well was there all along. As a result, Hagar's response was profitable. Hagar was a good mom. She was doing the very best she could for her child, giving her child everything that she had to give. But it was not enough. Whether rich or poor, our children will not receive everything they need from their earthly parents. Which is why we need God. Boy, the greatest responsibility that you are tasked with as a mom, as a dad, is raising a child. Which is why God says, hey, children are an heritage of the Lord. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Because, quite honestly, it's beyond us. The best thing for you to do as a mom is to admit, I can't do this. The best thing for a dad to do is to admit, I just do not have what it takes. Boy, by the grace of God, our children are raised. By the grace of God, they become what God would have them to be. Ephesians 6, verse number 4 Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hey, of all the things that God, or that Abraham gave to Hagar and to uh, Ishmael, you would think, well, water, he should have given them more water. He should have given them more provision. He actually gave them the greatest thing that he could. He taught Ishmael who God was, and how to pray. And ultimately, that's what saved their lives. You're going to find that in this unstable world in which we live, we can do all the prep that we can. But you're going to find yourself on your knees, realizing God is all I have. And you're also going to realize God's all you need. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed, with every eye closed. With every head bowed and with every eye closed. Hagar was a good mom. But when she followed God, she became a better mom. There's a lot of good moms out there who I believe could be made better moms.